Hey, my name is J.D. Larson, one of the pastors at North City Church. Thanks for joining us on our podcast. I hope this inspires and equips you to love God more deeply and to love your neighbor as yourself. At North City, our mission is to love our neighbors in the way of Jesus, and we hope this message emboldens you to do just that in whatever space God has sent you to. Be sure to subscribe and keep in touch with the conversations North City is having. And if you want to find out more about our community, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or online at NorthCityChurchMPLS.com. Enjoy the message. Well, welcome again to North City Church. We're so glad to have you here. We've been in a series called A Different Way, Finding Shalom. And this morning, we talk, we continue in that conversation. We define shalom as... Oops, here we go. We define it as a justice-infused peace, wholeness, and flourishing for individuals and systems. And so this morning, as we continue in this conversation, we want to lean into the, we want to lean into the topic of emotional shalom. What does that look like? As we pursue, pursue shalom as a community, we believe that continues to fuse us together as one. And with that, we also believe that it helps better equip us to bring shalom to the world, to the broken parts of the world that God wants to restore. And whether it's here in North Minneapolis, or it's in your workplaces, or in your families, we believe that seeking this kind of shalom is important as we seek to be people who follow in the way of Jesus. And so with that, let me pray for us as we dive in. God, we're really thankful for the ways that you embody shalom. Lord, and as we seek to have you be the leader of our lives, you, you help us to embody shalom as well. And so as we dive into this conversation about emotional shalom, Jesus, would you open up our hearts, open up the parts of our soul um, that you desire to bring restoration and wholeness and flourishing to you in our own emotional health and capacity. We love you, Lord. Pray this in your name. Amen. Well, I, okay, so I've been really into the Enneagram for the last couple of years. I feel like it just kind of became a thing all of a sudden in the last couple of years. And if you're not familiar with it, the Enneagram is, is a personality test that's designed to help you just become more aware of yourself. But not, it's not meant to put you in a box, but it's meant to be like a springboard into to growth and self-awareness. So for me personally, it's been really helpful. There's nine types. I'm a two. Is anybody else a two? Yes, several of us. And type two is also known as the helper or the servant. And so this is, um, this is a quote from an organization called the Enneagram Institute, which sends out daily thoughts based on your type. And this one was sent out just a couple days ago, and it defines what a two is pretty well. A feature of the type two personality is the tendency to overextend themselves, helping too many people, sitting on too many committees, giving advice to too many friends until they begin to feel burdened and physically worn out by their hospitality. So I kind of feel like um, Enneagram has kind of become my friend who isn't afraid to say all the things to me, to call me out on all my stuff. Uh, and I need that in my life because I am this person. I do, sometimes I do sit on too many committees. I give unsolicited advice sometimes because I care so deeply. My empathy kind of drives me to, to, to feel it so deeply that I, 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 I can't help but just give advice. And we all know what unsolicited advice feels like, right? And so it's unfortunate that sometimes this becomes me. And so regardless of how you feel about the Enneagram or personality tests in general, this has actually been a really helpful tool for me to grow in that, to grow in not just setting emotional boundaries in conversation and in my relationships, 
but to also learn how to build healthy emotional capacity. Because there's this weird narrative in culture. I don't know if it's like a Western American thing, but there's this weird narrative that like emotions are dangerous or that depending on what context we're in, that, that whether it's work or in our families or in our friendship groups, at a, I don't know, at a coffee shop, that our emotional capacities and mo- emotional connection with people changes based on those things. And so that's, that's totally valid. I think it helps us to, to have healthy capacity. But I think because we spend so much time delineating, okay, how emotional can I be at work? How emotional should I be in my friendships? And if you're dating versus with you're married, like I, there's this weird, you know, emotional capacity should be different. Emotional depth and connection should be different. So it's strange that there's this narrative that there's like a, emotions are dangerous and, or we have to be kind of stoic in our emotions. That, that, that that's a reality, but also another reality is that we desire and long for emotional connection. And so we're, we're like on these two different, I don't know, like the, the, that's the spectrum and we feel like we have to fall in one or the other. But this, and, and I just think this begins to change as well as we think about what emotional connection looks like as we seek to be people who live in the way of Jesus, to be people who live in the way of Jesus and follow his way of emotional shalom. And to dive into this a little bit more, I want to pursue the question, what does it look like to seek emotional shalom as we seek to live out the way of Jesus? And so if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, or if you have an app on your phone, we're going to be in Matthew 26. And as you turn there, uh, I just want to give you a little bit of context for where we're entering in here. So the first part of, of, of um, Matthew 26 there's, this is really like the, the last moments of Jesus' earthly ministry before he is arrested and taken to the cross. And so we see things like the, a group of people known as the chief priests plot to kill Jesus. Um, a woman uh, named Mary pours expensive perfume over Jesus' uh, head, which is a statement about how valuable he is. Um, Jesus serves the Last Supper or the Passover meal where he says that Judas will betray him. And then the very last thing that happens is that uh, Jesus predicts Peter's denial of him. And so this is where I pick it up in Matthew 26, starting in 36. It'll also be on the screen. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to the disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that, so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. When Jesus came back, he found them sleeping again, because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. So just a clarifying point here is that when Jesus, I don't have time to explain a lot of the context behind it, but when Jesus says this cup, 
He's referring to what is known as the bitter agony of the cross. So he's reflecting on what he's about to experience physically, emotionally, spiritually. So he's saying, to, he, so he's saying here that I'm, about to, I'm feeling the, the impending bitter agony of the cross. The pressure of the cross is catching up to him. So what we see in Luke is that Jesus asks his disciples to come with, them, will come with him as he goes to the Father to say, if there's any way for this cup to be taken from me, would you do it? And so what he does, he's, he's actually asking if, if he, he's basically saying, I don't, I'm feeling sorrowful. I'm overwhelmed because I have to die on a cross. The, Luke's account of this story in the Gospel of Luke says that Jesus was in so much agony that he actually sweat blood, which I mean, like, physiologically, I'm kind of like, okay, how is that actually possible? But when I think about it, it's like I carry my stress in my shoulders. Like when we are emotionally drained or emotionally spent, we start to feel it physically. We get tired. And I don't think it's any mistake that we both feel physical pain. We both feel emotional pain. So that's what's happening here in this story is Jesus is so distressed and so sorrowful that he actually sweats blood. And he goes to the Father to ask, if there's any way, would this cup be taken from me? So as I was reading this story, it made sense to me that Jesus would go to the Father, his most trusted and honest relationship, to say, hey, can you just help me walk through this? But I kept thinking, why does, why does he pull the disciples into it? Like, why does he feel it necessary to, to go and process how sorrowful he is? There's two things I think about here is that, one, if I was, if I was Jesus and I was leading all these people and they were looking to me for, for guidance and leadership, I wouldn't want to freak them out about how sorrowful I was. I would feel a little bit like, I feel like I would say, hey, you guys, uh, I have to go do something, and I'll be back in like three days or so. I'll be back in three days. Just sit tight. We'll come back. We'll party. We'll be, it'll be great. So I would do that, or I would just kind of want to get it over with. Like, if I know the bitter agony I'm about to experience, I'm not going to sit there and think about it. I'm just going to be like, let's just go. Just come arrest me now. You know, I wouldn't want to try to feel it. And so I kept thinking, okay, well, he's intentionally doing this. Jesus is intentionally doing this. Even though Jesus knew that the resurrection was on the other side of the cross, even though he knew victory over sin and death was on the other side of the cross, Jesus still stopped to feel the sorrow. He stopped to feel this, and he needed his friends present and wanted to come before the Father to say how he was feeling. And so we see this really beautiful and vulnerable part of Jesus. This passage is absolutely about Jesus going to the cross and the, the leading moments up to, to what we know as, as the death and resurrection and, and ascension of Jesus. But it's also a point of Jesus, a, a, part, a part of Jesus that chooses to stop and feel his emotions, to listen to his emotions. He's willing to not only just feel the emotions and not just think about it, but he's willing to ask for it to be spared. He's willing to go before the Father to ask for the emotion of it, the agony of it to be spared. He stepped towards his emotions to listen to them. And I think there's this weird thing that we say about emotions. We often say things like, don't listen to your emotions, or don't let your emotions be the only factor in deciding or in, in your decisions. And on, on some level, yes, that makes sense. That, you know, maybe emotions aren't fact. Emotions shouldn't be our authority. But I think maybe we need to rethink the question, should I listen to my emotions? 
If we're considering listening to, to be synonymous with obeying, then I don't think we should listen to our emotions. But if we actually think about the word listen, it means to hear, not to obey. So if we think about it in that sense, should we listen to our emotions based on that definition? Then I'm going to say yes, 100%. Listen to your emotions, hear them, let them speak to you, not because you want to obey them or give necessarily voice to them in, the, in, in how you feel, but because they are trying to lead you into something different. They're trying to speak to you about how you about what's going on deeper on the inside. And so if we don't listen to our emotions or hear them out, then I think we'll start to respond to certain people and situations in a really incongruous reaction. So one thing I think of is a couple of years ago or within the last couple of years, my work has gone through a lot of change uh, in, in so many different ways. And I love my work, love my colleagues, but in, in the midst of any change, People don't necessarily handle it super well. They need to be honest about it. And so I'm, I'm the receptionist. I'm the admin, which means I sit at the front desk. And people started to just share all of the things with me. I, be, I become like people's like functional therapist for some strange reason, and I love it. It helps me to build relationship with people. But they would start to share their like stress and their anger and their agony and their annoyances, all these things. And because I'm a two, I'm a servant, I, you know, I, don't, I put other people first. I would just listen. I would just listen to those things. But I didn't realize that I was actually taking on. My empathy was going too far. I was taking on the feelings of other people. I was listening to everyone else's emotions, but not to my own. And so what happened was that a couple months of people just sharing all this stuff with me, in my head, I'm like, oh, I'm building relationships. I'm being a non-anxious presence. You know, like... I'm building myself up. And then one day, someone comes to me, and I'm, you know, just like you just know you're going to have a bad day. It was one of those days. And someone comes up to me and asks, hey, do you know where the community stapler is? And I just pointed, and they left. But on the inside, it was like an explosion. <laughs> it was like this explosion. And I, I stopped, and I, so I went to my office to, to be like, what just happened? I'm like, um, I don't think that was about the stapler. You know, I don't think it was about the stapler. And it's so funny to think about that now, but in the moment, I was like, oh my gosh, what is happening to me? I have not, I didn't, I am not realizing that I have my own stress. I have my own grief in this. I have my own anger, and I haven't listened to it. And there's nothing wrong with listening to someone else's, because that's what relationship is about. It's, it's, it's a willingness to open up to share these things, just as Jesus had a willingness to open up to his disciples, his companions, and also his heavenly father. And the moment was an indicator for me that I had not properly acknowledged or placed my anger yet. And this is what was happening. I, have this, I found this funny meme, because that's what I do on the internet. Is <laughs> Okay, so this is referring to the Enneagram. When a two is having an emotional crisis but still trying not to be a burden. And I don't know if you can read it, but this says, hello, 911, how are you? <laughs> this is my life. This is my life where I'm like, I love to hear people's, you know, life stories and emotions and all these things. And I'm not afraid of other people's emotions. But sometimes if I need something and I want to vent, I don't want to be a burden. And so I do this thing where I, I do this weird, strange thing where I'm like, okay, I, I want to sort of still feel like strong or come off as strong, but I don't want to fully be myself because I'm too afraid that I'm going to be a burden. And so I'll, I'll like text or call a friend who I know 
will ask me how I am, but I'll, but I'll like kind of lie and I'll be like, hey, God just kind of put you on my heart and I wanted to like see how you're doing. This is just what I do. And then they, you know, they share and I listen and I'm, you know, I'm the non-anxious presence. And then I know they're going to ask me. So they say, oh, and how are you? And I'll say, oh, my gosh, thank you so much for asking. I guess I'll share, you know. <laughs> and so this is what happens is when we, when, even if we know and think, or if we, and if we know and we need to share our, our emotions and seek some solace and seek some shalom on our own by sharing our emotions, we often think we need to defend our emotions or we think that we can't fully be ourselves or we think that we have to kind of make them palatable for people. But the reality is that when Jesus went before both his disciples and the Father, he wasn't trying to be this like prideful, he wasn't trying to put on a show. Like can you imagine if Jesus was feeling this like 911 thing, if he was like, okay, I don't want to be a burden. Can you imagine if he was just feeling the stress and you know, like he, he's like sitting there like sweating blood, but he's like, I'm fine. You know? <laughs> Like, Jesus was unafraid of being vulnerable. He was unafraid of the humility of, of being emotional with his people. That even if he didn't know how, because the, the disciples fell asleep. He was like, I don't care. Like, it's not so much about how, what, what, what you say. It's just about being present. This was an everyday thing for the disciples to just hear Jesus say, hey, do this. Can you just do this for me, with me? For the disciples, they didn't know that what was about to happen was, was going to be what changed the course of history forever. And so for them, it was this, eventually this giant thing. But sometimes it can feel like, okay, we have big things that happen in our lives that feel a little bit emotional for us. But what about like the everyday kind of emotional moments where we just don't know where to channel it? What does that look like? So what does it look like practically for us to live out this emotional shalom? So first, I just want to reiterate what Pastor J.D. said last week. He, he talked about cognitive shalom and how sometimes we'll have thinking patterns or lenses in our lives that, that change the way we can uh, find a cognitive shalom. And he said, at North City, we are a pro-professional help kind of community. So I want to say something similar to you this morning is that there might be emotional patterns in your life or, or emotional reactions you have to things that are, that are kind of this like ongoing thing and you're not sure what to do about it, we want to encourage you to, yes, absolutely continue talking to your friends and your family, this community, your pastors. We also believe that shalom, because it's a whole life thing, relational, cognitive, spiritual, we think that seeking shalom, the places and the resources we seek shalom through, have to be a little bit vast. And the reality is that as pastors, we want to help you in a lot of those things, but the reality is that not everybody in a church context is equipped to help you through those emotional patterns. And so if you feel like that's you, you maybe you're thinking, maybe I do need to, to seek out some professional counseling or therapy. We want to help empower you and embolden you to do that. If you need resources, let one of us know, and we'd, we'd love to connect you with someone safe. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, I feel like this is a pretty practical everyday thing you can do, is read through the Psalms. The Psalms are full of emotions. I feel like it's just people's journal entries, honestly. I read through it, I, I'm just like, I feel so known because I'm that emotional too, I'm such a deep feeler, that when, when I'm reading through the Psalms, it just feels like, oh, you're giving me words to things that either I didn't know I felt, you're giving, giving me words to explain to other people, and I feel like that's just really helpful when a lot of the time we spend so much time 
just thinking about our, our emotions rather than actually feeling them and feeling them with other people. And I think the Psalms is a good place to start if you just want to just sit with your emotion. So that's one thing you can do. And then lastly, do you have regular places where you can process and acknowledge your own emotions? Do you have places where, or regular places where you can process your emotions? And if you, if you don't, we, wa- we want to encourage you to actually um, come to our discipleship tables. Our disciples, discipleship tables, uh, there's a men's group and a women's group. We meet every other week to just share life together. We, we talk about confession. And when we say confession, we mean uh, just sharing what's most true about our lives. It's not meant to be the scary thing. And sharing what's most true in our lives often becomes, this is how I'm feeling today about this specific thing. We actually start every single uh, t- discipleship table with, um, w- on a scale of one to 10, how are you feeling spiritually? Or we say, what's your one emotion right now? And that's helpful for us to just know even how to, how to share with one another throughout that, throughout that time. So if you want to get connected, you, men, you can talk to Pastor JD, and, and women, you can talk to me or, or email Pastor Christian Ann as well. Because I just think in these groups, we have, we have begun to see emotional shalom, just shalom in general in a lot of ways. And when we experience shalom in community, what happens is that there's this, this, this deeper experience altogether, not just in that group, but in how we do worship gatherings here, how we you know, grocery shop together. I don't know if anyone grocery shops together. But, you know, our everyday life, we experience shalom. That when you pursue shalom in one way, there's ripple effects of it into other places in your life. And we do it together as a community because we're never meant to do shalom on our own, just as Jesus didn't pursue shalom on his own sitting in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus doesn't directly say it to them, but when Jesus, when he says to his disciples, stay awake, stay here, and keep watch with me, He's saying keep watch for a specific thing because he knew that the, the chief priests were about to come and arrest him. He's saying keep watch because there is chaos on the way. Keep watch because I need you to do this as I process my angst and my agony with the Father. He's asking them to shoulder, to shoulder the burden. Do you have people in your life who will shoulder the burden with you, who know you well enough to say, hey, do you need me to stay here and watch with you? You may not say it directly like that, but people who will say, I I can't give you anything, I can't say anything magic, but hey, I just want to sit here with you as you feel what you're feeling or process what you're processing. Again, can you just imagine had, had Jesus not said these things out loud? It was vital to the resurrection. It was vital to victory, to shalom for the whole world. Because what Jesus did in listening to his emotions, he didn't obey his sorrow. He listened to his sorrow, expressed it, shared it with people. And then he said to the Father, if there's any way for this to be taken from me, let it be done. But if not, not my will, but yours be done. So he is listening, giving, lending ear to his sorrow, not listening to it, not not obeying it, but laying it down before the Father and saying, not my will, but yours be done. And, and Jesus calls us into a similar life, to live in his way of emotional shalom, that we can be people who say to God, God, I am feeling this thing. I am feeling anxiety. I'm feeling fear. I'm feeling anger. Whatever it is, know that your emotion, God can handle it. I, I'm, I'm someone who I believe that emotions aren't inherently good or bad. Emotions aren't inherently negative or positive. It's a matter of where you place it. 
Just like how I, I, if I had spoken my anger out to the person who asked me about, about the stapler, that would have been misplaced anger. <laughs> but I recognized that my anger was out of a place of grief, out of a lot of change. It was, it was change, like I was exhausted from change. So my anger was coming out of a place of, ang- of, of frustration, of, of grief, of exhaustion. And so in processing our emotions, in listening to our emotions, we can begin to see what it looks like to pursue shalom through that. But unless we rightly place our emotions, I think it'll be difficult for us to rightly find shalom. When you walked in, you received, I think, a piece of paper. If not, um, Matt's got some and he's going to walk around. You can just raise your hand if you didn't get one. So on this piece of paper is um, what is known as the emotions wheel. We've got a slide. You can't really read it, but it's on, the, um, it's on that piece of paper. And if you've been to counseling or if you have um, maybe taken psychology classes, this will be probably be familiar to you. What, what I want to do is just give you a few minutes to, to really just process what's going on in you today. So just start at the center and read through these words. Read through the words. And identify one or two words that, that describe how you're feeling just today or maybe in the last 24 hours. And as you do that, I want you to ask the question, God, how do you want to bring emotional shalom to me today? How do you want to bring emotional shalom to me today? And so write it on that. If you have a pen, you can write it on the cutoff part of the paper and rip it off, and just hang on to it. And during communion, we're going to have you drop it in the offering buckets. There's one over here, and then one over here on the table. And as you, after you take communion, you can just drop it in there as a way of symbolizing that, God, I am laying down my emotion to you. I'm surrendering this thing to you. I'm listening to the emotion, and I'm going to process it with you. I'm going to tell you how I feel, and then I'm going to lay it down before you. God's mission in the world is restoration. God's mission in the world is wholeness and flourishing in shalom. And Jesus gives us a picture of what emotional shalom looks like when he sits in the garden. He is unwilling to settle for pride. He's unwilling to settle to be stoic. He's unwilling to settle to be someone who is just trying to, 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 to be a good leader for the people in his life. There is an honesty that Jesus brings to us. And as we are honest with ourselves and before God, that frees us up to find emotional shalom in community with other people. You see, because Jesus chose, he chose to be vulnerable, to be honest before the people in his life. He chose to seek out people to be with him in his agony, in his distress. And what came from that, the ultimate thing that came from his willingness to to seek emotional shalom was shalom for the whole world. Shalom in the spiritual sense, relational sense, cognitive thinking in every sense of the word, both individually and in our systems, that justice, restorative justice came to the world. And we get to be a part of that today as well, to be people who seek emotional shalom so that as we do that, shalom is extended ripple effects from this room, beyond this room, into our workplaces, into our families, into the world. And it's not about us just being functional saviors. It's about us 
representing, representing the, the shalom that Jesus embodies to the whole world. So take some time to, to read through this. The band's going to play a little bit of music, and eventually they'll, they'll invite us to stand to worship together. But take some time to think, God, how can I open up myself to you to be honest and open, to listen to my emotions and ultimately say to you, God, not my will, but yours be done. How might your emotion be a part of bringing shalom to the world? Let yourself be opened up to God. Free yourself from stoicism. Free yourself from whatever narratives have told you that you should or should not feel emotion. Because emotion is an imprint of our creator. Our emotions are an imprint of our creator's emotions. Free yourself to, be, to live in the way of Jesus and to, to experience shalom through him as he embodies it in you and around you and through you. Let me pray for us. God, we are thankful that you continue to be a God of shalom in us, through us, and around us. We believe and, and we know that shalom is possible, but God, would you help our unbelief, whether in ourselves or in the systems around us, Lord, we're struggling to feel shalom, but we know that, God, you embody it and you sit with us and you dwell with us in our midst. As we move from this place into a new building to, to worship together, God, would we experience shalom in every sense of the word. God, we're thankful that shalom is not something that's intangible, but it's something that we can see and seek out for your glory. So, God, we love you. Pray that these things would be done in your name, for your glory, that we might see your kingdom come and shalom brought to the world. We love you, Lord. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Christian Ann of North City Church. Thanks so much for listening to this message today. We hope you feel more empowered to love your neighbors in the way of Jesus. If you have thoughts or questions, we would love to hear from you. You can leave us a voice message on our website, northcitychurchmpls.com backslash sermons. Learn more about the North City community there as well. And you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. A special thanks goes out to Ben Noble for the music on this podcast. If you haven't heard Ben Noble's music yet, check it out at bennoblemusic.com. Let me send you into your day with this blessing. May God give you the eyes to see and the ears to hear all that God is doing in the world around you. And may he give you the courage to respond. Amen. Amen.